Our sermon passage comes again from Romans 5, chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Hear ye the word of the Lord. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's word for God's people, and God's people said amen. amen. You may be seated. I enjoy reading the book of Romans. Uh, I enjoy it for many reasons. I enjoy it because they consider it one of Paul's best works. I enjoy it because it has certain things that are the bedrock of our foundation of salvation if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Uh, I like Romans because I can learn in Romans that I am more than a conqueror. I like Romans because I learn in Romans that nothing can separate me from the love of Christ Jesus. I, I enjoy reading Romans. And I also enjoy it because there is a historical connection. Uh, Romans was the, uh, Rome rather, was the, the metropolis of the time. It was a place where everybody had to go to get into certain spots. And, and, and it was a big city. A big, not big in terms of size. When I say big, I mean big in terms of importance. And here was this church established there and Paul is telling them what they need to do in order to operate. I like Romans because there's a historical connection because there are people that have gone before me that appreciated Romans. Romans is the book that St. Augustine was inspired to read when he heard a voice from the Lord tell him, take and read. John Calvin said that Romans was nothing less than the entry point for the understanding of all scripture. When Martin Luther uh, identified Romans as his, his occasion for his insight into God's righteousness and the one who uh, is attributed as the father of Methodism, uh, John Wesley, had his Aldersgate experience where he was strangely warmed reading a commentary on Romans. Romans has a lot to do with the foundation and the history of our faith. Uh, in the passage that I read, it's a bit of a bridge. It's a transition. Paul is transitioning into another part of a, a, sec, a major claim of this letter. See, he spent the first four chapters telling you exactly how this man called Jesus went into the world and hung, bled, and died for our sins. And we were all sinners. There's no, no, uh, there's no, no uh, uh, disclaimer there's no, no asterisks by it. There's no, we, we all are sinners. He said it, a matter of fact, in Romans 3 and 23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark in some way. 
But the good news is that this man named Jesus came to be our way to get to God because we couldn't get on to God by ourselves. And so we go from talking about the Jew and the Greek and faith of belief and even the righteousness of God and we move into a language of hope. Uh, we all are sinners. We all have fallen short. We all have missed the mark, but we have something to hope in. And that hope is in Jesus. And so you have a past event and a present situation and a promise for the future in the passage of this text. In the past event, we all know that Jesus died for our sins. Uh, there's a particular YouTube channel I like, and uh, this YouTube channel has... Uh, different animations on it and it says uh, how to be not better than 90% of most preachers and it's a three second clip and in that three second clip the passage has the, the pastor saying Christ died for you huh. we've gotten away from talking about Christ dying for you yeah. we've gotten away from talking about sin there are people that believe we've gotten past sin. That's why we can be so lackadaisical about sinful topics. If you get enough popular people around you to say that that's no longer a sin, then it becomes okay. But Christ died for us, and because we believe in that, we are justified by faith. Christ died for us, and because we believe in that, we are justified by faith. Uh, Christ died for our sins and because we believe in that we are justified by faith not anything we can do on our own you can work and work and work your fingers to the bone but it does not matter you cannot work your way into heaven people might say nice things about you when it's time for you to go but if you don't have that right relationship with Jesus all that work you did does not matter when you get before him Depart from me, I know you not. But I did this, this, and this for you. I was here and I was doing all that. That is not what gets you in. Justified, having being made right. Uh, justified, having been done or marked good or marked by a good or a legitimate reason. There's a theological definition as well. Uh, declared or made righteous in the sight of God. That's pretty obvious for itself, but what I really liked is the printing definition. Having been adjusted so that the print fills a space evenly or forms a straight line in one or both of the margins. I like that when I think about being justified with Jesus, because when you justify text, not, and by not text, I'm not talking about the biblical text, I'm talking about the actual typing text. When you justify it, you put it in its right place. And so when I think about being justified by faith, because I believe in Jesus Christ, I am being put in the right place. Access to heaven. And we are justified by faith, the, 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 the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. We, we have trouble quantifying faith, but we practice it almost every day. People talk about faith. It seems like it's hard for some reason to talk about faith with Jesus, but it's easy when we practice faith every day. We sit on these pews with faith that they would not fall in. We stuck our key in the ignition of the car with faith that it would start. We believe that nothing would happen to us on the way to our church destination or wherever we're going. We exercise faith on a regular basis. 
We're not in control of the highways and byways. I'm not a mechanical engineer. I'm not a repair technician. I don't do much outside of change oil and, and do a few other things with the car, but that's it. I'm not getting here by my own volition, so I exercise that faith day to day. And just like we exercise that faith day to day, we should exercise that faith in Jesus. We weren't there to see it, but we can believe it. Amen. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to work our way into it. We just have to believe. And because we believe, we get peace with God. This peace with God is accomplished by the work done by Jesus Christ. Being justified results in a peace of God and access to the Lord's favor and unstoppably the hope of glory. And I like in the text in the first one it says, therefore, since we have peace, or uh, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. I, I like that it says that because some translations don't say we have peace. Some translations say, let us have peace. Uh, they call that the imperative. But scholars argue that the better translation is the indicative, rather. We have peace based on the verb tense of what we've received in that peace. Uh, it's one thing to say, let us have food because we have money. That's one way to say certain things. Let us have something because we have something else. But it's a lot stronger when we say we will have something or we do have something because we have it. So we are going to go eat because I have money. Not let us go eat because I have money. Let us go to a particular place because I have transportation. No, we are going to a particular place because I have transportation. The indicative versus the imperative. Uh, the verb and the reason that they, the, the scholars argue that if the better translation is not let us have peace, but rather we have peace because the, the verb tense has to agree with us having Jesus. So we don't ask for peace because we have a relationship with Jesus. We have peace because we have that relationship with Jesus. When you know what you have and you know what you've been through, there's no question mark about it. There's no question to be asked for. You understand because you know that you have Jesus. Because you know that you have Jesus, you'll know that he'll make a way out of no way. Because you know that you have Jesus, you'll have someone to call on in the midnight hour. It's not a question about it. It's affirmative. And when you know it, there's no one that can take it away from you. When you know what you are, you operate a whole lot better. I was having uh, breakfast this morning with my son, and uh, Johnny likes a lot of different TV shows, but one of the ones that he likes is Super Wings. And Super Wings, for those who are not familiar with this TV show, is about a group of uh, robots that are capable of transforming into jet planes and, and, and uh, boats and plane, the, the, the hybrid plane boats and all these things. They are capable of transforming into these things in order to make deliveries and help people out when they're in trouble. And so I'm watching this TV show 
And the main character, Jet, had to make a delivery to Denmark. And he was delivering a robot dinosaur. He delivered the robot dinosaur, and the robot dinosaur kind of got haywire. The wrong button was pushed, and it went on a rampage. And they went to try to chase this robot dinosaur, the little boy whose toy it was, and it was a large robot dinosaur. And, and, and it was tearing up the roads and tearing up the, the streets and everything, and they were trying to chase it down. And here you had this thing that confused me because the little boy got on his bike to try to chase it. And then I watched this jet get on the tricycle to try to chase it. The jet forgot that he was a high-speed jet and decided to operate like he was a little kid and ride a tricycle down. But lo and behold, he remembered that he was a jet halfway through and got off the tricycle and flew in front of the dinosaur and eventually stopped it. But here I am thinking there's a sermon in that because that's how a lot of us operate. We step down to the level of some of the people that we're around. We step down to the level of some of the people that are hating on us. We come down to their level and try to operate where they're at when we are not fit for that kind of operation. A jet trying to move at the speed of a child's tricycle. That's some of us being concerned about what others think about us. Spending money we don't have on things we don't want to impress people who do not like us anyway. But when you know who you are, and when you know whose you are, you don't have to go down to their level. I believe it was Mark Twain that said, never argue with a person that is dumber than you. Because if you do, you go down to their level and they'll beat you with experience. But if you know that you are the righteousness of God, if you know that you are the head and not the tail, if you know that you are above and shall never be beneath, if you know that you are the lender and not the borrower, if you know that you are blessed and you're going and blessed and you're going, coming and blessed everywhere you go and everything that you touch, when you know that, when you know that you are more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, you don't have to operate below your level. So you have this peace in God. You have this peace because you know no matter what the situation that God will be able to take care of it. You have this peace. You have this peace for what Jesus has done. Uh, Paul was talking about peace because given the time in the, in, 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 of the writing of the text, there was something that had been introduced. It was called the Roman Pax. It was established by Augustus Caesar. And he was forcing peace upon the people, a military peace, a military oppression. Ain't nobody fighting around here because the Romans had the most soldiers and the most weapons. And so that's where there was a a peace that was made, but it was not an actual peace. But not only that, these rulers over these times started calling themselves by the title Lord and Savior. They were going around saying because they were the rulers of that time and the rulers of that area that they were the Lord and Savior, not anybody else. And so Paul was telling this church how, yes, 
there are these emperors and these military folks and generals or whatever that are calling themselves Lord and Savior. But allow me to introduce you to the real Lord and Savior. The one who hung, bled, and died for you. The one who rose again with all power in his hand. The one that is coming back. Let me show you the real Savior. Augustus is not going to die for you. But if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that'll be your Savior. Not any Roman emperor. And so you can take peace in that, knowing that kings and kingdoms will fade away. But Jesus works, did the work that got you peace. And so he's introducing them through this peace to a different Lord, a better Lord, a different Savior, a better Savior. And not only does the believer get peace with God, the believer gets access to God. Uh, So we had the past event that went on and now we go to a present result. When Paul talks about gaining access, he's using the same sort of terminology in the Greek as approaching the altar with a sacrifice. Paul is treating this grace as a, like a place or a room, just like the temples where the people went to meet God. And this room gets you a meeting with Jesus. They get access through grace. I've been pretty fortunate by my career to not uh, have to pay to go to a concert. I usually know somebody who knows somebody who gets in, who gets me in, and I'm not that good of an audio engineer. I didn't do anything to earn it, but I get access and I get more, I get whatever's going on upgraded and an opportunity to see that based on who I know. It's the same thing with this grace. None of us are good enough to get our own way into heaven. None of us are good enough to work out our own, to save ourselves. We don't have a heaven or a hell to put anybody else in. We don't have a heaven or a hell to put ourselves in. We get it by grace. It's not anything that we deserve or anything that we've earned. We are but filthy rags compared to it. We are, we are born in sin. But that does not stop us from getting access. And because we get that access, we get great joy and we can boast and we can be confident. And so the present result also gives us, a belief, gives us assurance from God. Uh, the fact of this assurance is, is one of the things that is good about getting this insur- assurance rather is that it comes in the time of suffering. Our present experience is not just about a peace with God, but it is a suffering coupled with hope. The troubles that we are going through right now, the troubles that we are experiencing, the, the, the hard times that we are going through, we have to understand that they are only temporary. And if we have, we have hope in Jesus that they will not last always. So because they will not last always, we know we can get through it. Whenever I'm going through certain tough times, I understand that there are people that have gone before me that were able to get through this. And because there were people that were going before me that were able to get through it, it lets me know that any tough trouble is not going to be going on forever. 
I won't be feeling like I've been punished forever. I won't be feeling like it's hard times out here forever. I can put my hope in Jesus. And if I put my hope in Jesus, I will understand that weeping may endure for a night. But joy will come in the morning. Joy shall come. Weeping will endure. Joy shall come. Again, talking about these verbs, will doesn't always mean it's going to happen. Or weeping may, rather, may come in the night. But joy shall come. So no matter what's going on, I know shall actually means it's going to happen. But this suffering, this time of suffering also produces a fruit. And that fruit is perseverance or patience. Perseverance is steadfast in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Some of the most successful people I know always say that they don't think they're better than anybody else. They're not any more gifted. They're not any more talented, whether it be in business or whether it be in sports or whether it be in academics. They don't say that they're necessarily smarter than anyone else, but they get to where they got because they persevered. They were willing to work longer. They were willing to work harder at it. They were willing to work until they figured it out and they persevered and they were able to uh, uh, handle the delay. They were able to appreciate it that much more because they worked for it as opposed to just having it given to them. And that perseverance produces character, the mental and moral qualities distinctive to an individual or the distinctive nature of something, the quality of an individual typically in an interesting or unusual way. A person's good reputation, character. They say that character is what you are when no one's looking. I mean, it's nice to put on a suit and come to church on Sunday and say God bless your brother and all those things but how are we when nobody else is around that is a true measure of our character and not only that when Paul is talking about character he's talking about uh, the, the, the present state but it's also an overtone in it of being tried and tested it's one thing to know that something has experienced. It's tried and tested. We by nature avoid new things because we don't necessarily know if it's going to work. But when, when he talks about this suffering producing this patience and this patience producing character, it's tried and tested. I know I've gotten this far based on the Lord. And time and time again, when I didn't know how to do it myself, God was willing to do it. When I didn't have sense enough to take care of myself, God did it. And if he did it before, he'll do it again. Tried and tested character. So over and over again, God keeps breaking me up and starting me on my way. Over and over again, God keeps putting food on my table. Over and over again, God keeps putting clothes on my back. Over and over again, God protects me from dangers seen and unseen. So this tried and tested every day over and over again. And he is the Lord that changes not. So I can appreciate this character because it's tried and tested. And because it's tried and tested, I have hope. I can be confident in boasting of the Lord. I can talk about the mighty things that he's done because I have hope. His character is tried and tested to me. 
the people of the day were stoics of that time. That was a popular mentality about, you know, suffering. You had to earn your way. You had to suffer to go through stuff. You had to go through all these trials and tribulations. They put a value on that. The Stoics did. But the only problem with the Stoics is that was the end of it. Life was just supposed to be suffering and then you die. So Paul came around and put hope on it. We have hope in this salvation. We have hope in the glory of the Lord. We have hope that God is going to show up and show out with us. The feeling or the expectation or the desire for a certain thing to happen. Hope. A person or a thing that may help or save someone. Hope. Grounds for believing that something good may happen. Hope. It's also a feeling of trust. And so when I'm in that midnight hour, not knowing what I'm going to do, not knowing how I'm going to make it out, I have hope that Jesus will make a way out of no way. I have hope. I have feelings of trust that God will work it out because he did it before and he'll do it again. And see, this New Testament, when they talk about hope, it's the assurance of something not yet fully experienced. That's different than being uncertain or having a wishful thinking. Uh, see, you may not have seen things, but when you hear things, they can make sense. It's not wishful thinking. You can look at two people about to fight, and you can look at who's going to win. You may not know the tale of the tape, but you can look and know who's going to be a little better than the other one. You can see the fear in their eyes. You can see who's not very coordinated. You can see who wants to run. You can look at it. It's an assurance. It's not yet fully experienced, but you're able to understand what's going on. You can look at a particular situation with two people and know that that's probably not somebody you want to hang around. You can look at a particular neighborhood, and you may not have ever been to that neighborhood, but you can look at that particular neighborhood and have a feeling of certainty that I probably should not go down this road. But that's not wishful thinking. That's putting those things together. It's putting it together and making an observation based on what's going on until you hope. And so because I may not have seen Jesus hung, bled, and died, I can put together that he did. I did not see him die for my sins, but I can put together that he did. I did not see him get beaten and put a crown of thorns on his head, but I can put together that he did. I did not see him march all the way to Calvary, but I can put together that he did. And I can have hope. I did not see him get hung up between those two thieves, but I can put together that he did. I wasn't necessarily there when the moon was dipped in blood, but I can put together that he did. I wasn't there to hear the centurion say, surely, surely, this must be the son of God, but I can put together that he did. And I can put together that he died. And a real death, not some sort of metaphysical new age death. A death. And I can put together that he did get put in a tomb temporarily. But I wasn't there, but I can do that. And I can put together that he rose again with all power in his hands because the tomb is empty. And not only can I put all of that together, I can put together the fact that he's coming back again. And then because I can put together that he's coming back again, I want to be ready. I want to be ready when the trumpet sounds. 
I want them to say, well done, good and faithful servant, as opposed to depart from me, I know you not. I can put all of that together, and because I can put all of that together, I have hope in his glory. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open, and we invite you to come.